occasionally I can do something, usually it's, I've messed up. And it, 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 it um, throws him into a fit of giggles that are high-pitched, and he are uncontrollable. And he literally falls over generally, or does this. <laughs> and of course it makes me laugh. Now, I was able to get him to laugh this way this week because, um, we'll throw a slide up. He, if you don't know my husband, one of the other wacky things about him is he loves his stuffed animals. I did not know this marrying him. He had boxes of beanie babies and stuffed animals. I, I had no idea this part of his life. So anyway, this is one of his beloved monkeys. He loves monkeys particularly. And, um, this is one of his big, fluffy, wonderful monkeys. And because of reasons that I will tell you in a minute, I had to do some laundry. And I stuck his wonderful, fluffy monkey into the dryer, brought it home, and um, it doesn't look so pretty. And I didn't tell him at first, because I wasn't sure how he'd react. I stuffed it in a bag brought it home, and then later that night, I'm brushing my teeth, and all of a sudden, I hear bags ruffling, and then bursting out into uncontrollable laughter. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sad. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm sorry, honey, I'm sorry. (laughs) I go running out, and this is what he's holding. (laughs) And he's going, oh, my monkey, I'm so sad. So now he looks a little bit, his hair looks a little nappy. It's quite ruined. And um, I'm sorry, honey. It it was an accident. But anyway, it was actually a well-needed bit of comic relief in our week because um, not only do I find these kinds of things funny and ridiculous, well, I don't do them on purpose, but my husband's laugh ridiculous, but, you know, some people seem to seek after ridiculous things crazy records and all that. Other people, ridiculous things happen to them. I'm kind of one of these people that life, life happens. And, um, a lot. And, (laughs) and I don't like it. (laughs) But (laughs) this was well needed, um, comic relief. Life happened this past week. We were getting ready to go on vacation over the long weekend. And right before I was wrapping up stuff here at the Jericho. And, um, so that was all good for next, while I was gone on Sunday. And I get into my car and I reach to grab something and the doors open and nicks the car that's parked beside me. I turn around, freak out initially. It's just a little scratch. It's not that bad. I'm like, okay, it's not that bad. It's a car that's been pretty beat up. It's got lots of scratches on it anyway. So then I start reasoning, well, maybe they won't notice. Maybe I don't have to do anything. And then my guilt complex kicks in. No, they'll probably notice. So, okay, I'll write a note and leave my number. Sorry, my door nicked your car on the left side or whatever. Here it is, my number. And then I leave. And of course, inside, I'm feeling horrible. But at least I feel like, okay, I've got that over with. Great, now I can go on vacation. So my sister-in-law picks me up. Our husbands are going to be staying late working that night. So I decide to drive out with her and her two kids up to Whistler where we're having a family vacation. We stop off at this lovely little rest stop. And what do I do? But I decide to help my little three-year-old niece use the washroom. So as we're in this washroom, I bend over and I'm helping her. And my cell phone, which is Brad's cell phone that he gave me because my previous cell phone flew off the roof of our car and smashed to a bazillion pieces. This cell phone falls out of my pocket into the defiled toilet, and after cleaning and trying to dry it out, it never works again. Despite that, we have a wonderful vacation 
enjoy family time. Everybody's very ready to go home, though, at the end of it. You know family vacations. Wonderful time. We come home, fall in bed, exhausted. And on Tuesday morning, wake up. I leave early, and I come home, and Jared is covered in bug bites. Upon which we have major freak out as we dig through all of our stuff in the bed, fearing the worst that we have bed bugs and find little casings of bugs everywhere in all of my lovely hat boxes under the bed and all of his stuffed animals and everything is covered in all these little bugs that we know just for certain is bed bites, but we actually we don't know. We're hoping that they're not. But anyway, which leads me to grabbing everything out from under our bed, throwing it in bags, rushing to a laundromat on Wednesday, which laundromats are closed on Wednesday, by the way. So it takes me half a day to find a laundromat. So I finally find a laundromat at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, which leads me to sitting there sobbing in a laundromat with parents looking at me sideways, pulling their children close, washing laundry, and then pulling this out of the dryer. (laughs) Life gets a little bit ridiculous, and some of you may have had a week like that. I understand we can have a support group afterwards with a bucket of ice cream, banana muffin, and fuzzy slippers. But for today, I think we're going to find that in our story today, life doesn't just happen for Israel. Life gets a little bit ridiculous in this story, but not for the reasons that I've just described. It's not because they're seeking some, you know, they think it's fun doing something ridiculous or world record breaking, and it's not because life happens. Life very rarely just happens for the Israelites. The ridiculousness that happens in this story seems to be a direct relationship with their their walking alongside God's plan, and God's plan seems a little bit ridiculous for them. If you've been following with us over the past couple of weeks, you'll know that we're going through a series um, through Joshua, And we picked up this summer where we left off last summer with the Israelites wandering in the desert. And each week we've had a wonderful member of our community paint or create some sort of artwork for us to help illustrate it. And this week the picture is from Raya Clausen. She's pictured here um, a wonderful representation of the wall of Jericho. You can see it's strong and built up high. And there's some people out with sheep there. You can see there's some tattered clothes. And then there's um, Joshua and they're they're looking at Jericho. And that's where we left them off last week as Pastor Keith talked about um, Israelites walking across the Jordan River. God saying, okay, it's time to go. 40 years of wandering desert over. We're going to move. And so he, um, in a sort of a deja, mo- deja vu moment, they walk through the Jordan River just like their parents walked through the Red Sea, get to witness God's divine hand in bringing them through there and also affirming Joshua as his chosen leader to bring him into the promised land. And um, so now they're on the other side of the, Jor- of the Jordan, and they can see Jericho. Like, it's, it's right there. And that's where we leave off. And you may be thinking, oh, perfect, finally. 40 years of waiting, over, we're ready to go. They're ready to go, charge in. And, uh, but God has another plan. So we're going to pick up reading today in Joshua chapter 5. My Bible is a little bit um, well used. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Now when the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all of the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. 
At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All of those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, they died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. And all the people that came out of Egypt had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. We're going to pause right there for a minute. So the story starts, and you get this beautiful picture of the surrounding nations being completely paralyzed by fear. In my mind, perfect time to swoop in, right? They're, they're scared something. Um, <laughs> they are scared, and they, and they don't want to... Um, they don't want to, to go anywhere near Israel. So I would think that this is a perfect time to move in. But God has another plan. Instead, he says that he wants to, them to re-circumcise all the Israelites. Now, we know that circumcision was the sign that he'd given to Abraham and Abraham's children, the Israelites, to remind them of the covenant he made with Abraham to be his chosen people, to make Abraham's descendants like a great nation, which they are now, we see that, and to come in and take over this land. And if, you, if you've been following us, you kind of begin to realize that God seems to like to give his people signs or representations to help them remember things. When they crossed through the Jordan last week, we heard that God said, set up a, um, an Ebenezer or a big pile of stones from the riverbed so that every time you get to the river, you'll remember. This pile of stones will help you remember what I did here. And um, he also does it with festivals. He'll, if he's done something big, like when he brought them out of Egypt, he gave them the Passover festival and said, do this festival when you remember, um, and, and you'll remember what I did for you here. And so circumcision is like that. It's another sign, albeit a very painful one, to help them remember his covenant and his promises with them. And it also set them apart. And so it's a wonderful thing that, you know, a wonderful covenant that he gave them. But I'm kind of sitting here at this part of the story, scratching my head, because I kind of think like God... Why didn't you tell them to do this before they crossed the river? Now they're sitting like sitting ducks, right? They're right. They can see Jericho, and all their men are in agony, unable to defend themselves. They're in pain. They're vulnerable. <laughs> Did God? I know you can. You know you have foresight. You can think ahead. Why? Why wouldn't you have said like do this, heal, and then cross the Jordan? And then we'll go. Like, it's the perfect time to now they're scared. Now let's go and get them. But you know what? The more I started looking into it, I thought, you know, maybe that actually is the point. Over and over and over again, we seem to be seeing that God places Israel in, in a state of vulnerability, in a state of that, that teaches them dependence on him. The 40 years in the desert, they had to learn to, to wait and to trust him for food, for water, for survival. There wasn't much out there for 40 years. And and here again, he, he just brought them through this the, this river on dry ground, and now in a sense he's saying again, we've crossed over, we're crossing out of that those forty years 
of shame, of, of punishment that you're bearing for your parents' stubborn action and not following me. And now I want you to recommit yourselves. I want you to say, are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to, to move forward with me, not doubting my hand or my plan? And, and I think that this ends up being a very important part in the Israelites' um, next phase of their journey. Later on, we see that God says down in um, chapter 9, verse 9, sorry, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And I think that that can represent both their reproach as being slaves. It also could represent their, just the shame that they carried of the disobedience. All of this stuff, he's saying, as of this moment, I have rolled away. It's a fresh start. We are starting fresh. And then it goes on to say, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, well, they can see Jericho, they celebrate the Passover. And the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. That to me is just such a beautiful moment. I can only imagine as the Israelites what that would have done to to unify them. This season of a, two weeks or more of... remembering the Abrahamic covenant and then celebrating for seven days this Passover feast where you're basically reliving and re-remembering what their parents had gone through. They were slaves, God's hand, and protecting them um, and bringing them out in the dead of night quickly. And And they're celebrating this while he's sitting here looking at Jericho. Like, what anticipation? Can you, like, you're, 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 you can feel, like, I'm almost there. Like, 40 years, finally, we are almost there. And not only are we almost there, but God has brought us there. And I think that is super important for them to, to build their faith so that the next leg of the journey, I think it'll make sense of why the next leg of the journey plays out so well. Now, the narrative picks up here quite a bit. Um, and I'm going to need some helpers for this. So, all of you, this is why I was rubbing my hands with glee, there's enough of us here that each and every one of us are going to play a part. Now, some of you don't have to get up out of your chair. Don't worry. I know you said you thought you just came and that was good enough. But I, I'm all about participation. So, I do need a Joshua. I need a Lord Commander of the Sword. I need somebody to raise their hand. I need it, or else I'll just start picking people. No? Sure. Yeah. Go ahead, come on up. And another, I need a couple more. Derek? Yes, Derek, sweet. Anybody else? Come on, come on up. I've got, I've got stuff for you. Okay. Here's your um, sword. Anybody else? No? Okay, well, I will. Don't worry, you're all going to. You're going to participate in some way. Okay. Um, Derek. This will do. Put that on you. Now, before we get in to this story, and just don't mind me here. I'm going to cover you up. There we go. You're hidden. He's not there. 
pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Um, before we dig in, you know, this starts, Jericho really is the start of a lot of wars that we see happen. And all throughout the Old Testament, wars in the Old Testament were quite complex. And I'm not really going to dig in today um, the, the whys and the hows behind why God does this, as we'll see today, he, he completely kill every single living creature in Jericho. Um, but I did want to, it is there in the text, and I did want to at least make mention of that. Um, and we, as we've seen in other parts of the Old Testament, um, like with the flood or with Sodom and Gomorrah, this, there are times there are times where God um, does these things in, in a way of bringing justice on the earth. There are other times where it seems as if God is doing this as a way of protecting his people. And regardless of the motives or whatnot behind the complete destruction of Jericho, it is very clear in the text that it was God's initiative. This was not um, uh, Joshua's, not Joshua's plan. This was not Israel's plan. This was very clearly God's initiative for them. And I think that the part of the text that I'm going to be focusing on today is the the act of faith that it took them to follow him and and just how miraculous that is in light of the years of mis um, of disobeying and um, doubting God. So with that, we're going to pick up from chapter six. <clears throat> so we've got here I'm gonna move this over here so you can see. We've got our Joshua here and that curtain is nothing. Oh, okay, you over here, you are, uh, no, you're the nations who are terrified, okay, look terrified, great, um, yeah, good idea, you guys are Jericho, okay, in a minute you're going to have to stand up and make a wall, a square, <laughs> And you guys are the Israelites, this middle section, okay? So, there's a cup. <laughs> Phil? <laughs> okay, so Israelites, there's a couple things you're going to need to do. One is when, when Joshua says shout at the end, you're going to have to give your biggest, loudest war shout that you can do, okay? No shame here, just scream as loud as you can. And, okay, so now we're set. We've got the nations who are terrified. Terrified nations! And over here, we're already, it says right here, it says, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. They are obviously expecting a siege. They are scared. They see the, the nations are scared. They're not about to come and help. And Jericho is terrified. So they close their doors. They're expecting, obviously, these people are going to come and do something. So they completely come in tight, tightly up and aren't going to come out or do anything. So there's no way in, no way out. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's the scene that is set for us. Then the Lord said to Joshua, oops, nope. The Lord doesn't say anything to Joshua yet. Now Joshua was near Jericho. It doesn't say if he is out scouting out to try and figure out where he's going or what. But it says he is near Jericho. And he's walking around. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a man appears 
with a sword raised up. <laughs> and Joshua is a little bit nervous because he does not know if this man <laughs> is going to be against him and the Israelites or if he is for the Israelites. So Joshua marches up to him and says, are you for us or for our enemies? And this man with the raised sword surprisingly says, neither, but as commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. And Joshua falls face flat on his face, gently, (laughs) carefully, perfect. He falls flat on his face in reverence, recognizing that this is the commander of the Lord's army, and as such, he is here under his authority, and he says, what message does my Lord have for his servants? Okay, Joshua, you can stand on up for a minute. You don't have to stay down there. Your face will hurt if you don't. Perfect. Good gentle falling. And and then we see the most surprising military strategy ever. Keep your arm raised. I know it's going to burn. It's good for you. <laughs> Who knew you'd come and get a workout? <laughs> so then the Lord says to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king, its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And, um, I lost my place. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark and the seven... And on the seventh day, march around the the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. And when you hear the sound of the long blast of the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. And the walls of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So, Joshua, as obedient servant of the Lord, uh, we're going to need to get some army people, aren't we? Okay, uh, thank you. You can take your arm down and disappear again, man of God. Um, So Joshua, (laughs) yes, thank you. Joshua goes and he he gives, um, go give this to some people in the middle. Um, Yes, he, I don't know. Somebody can blow the horn. So he goes around, we'll go together. Oh, and I have more horns. These are horns. Um, So he goes. And here's a horn for you. And he, um, he, he talks to all of the, whoops. Oh, okay, I'll get it. Um, he talks to all of the people and says, this is what the Lord has declared. Here's a s- nice seal shield for you. And a hat for Raylan. Yeah. Yeah. Dustin, here you go. So, so Joshua rallies the troops together. And he says, um, Joshua, you can just come stand here, pretend you're talking to your people. And he tells them exactly what the Lord says. He says, God has given us this land. And he says, (laughs) very inspiring. Oh, it just gives me chills. And and he says, we need the seven priests and they're going to blow their horns. And we're going to advance we're going, we're going to, God is saying he's given us this land, we're advancing. Oh, but you have to go quietly. Oh, and you might as well leave your swords because we're not doing anything for the first seven days. And we're just going to blow the one trumpet sound. The whole time we're marching around. Okay, let's advance. And he goes, come on, Joshua. 
and it goes, and the first day they come up, now Jericho, you need to stand up and make your wall. (laughs) Sorry, Deb. Oh. (laughs) Okay, so they, we march, and Israel just supportingly nod and agree that you're marching with us, and we march, (laughs) we march around Jericho, blowing our trumpets, blow your trumpets! Perfect! Okay, that's enough. And then they go back to camp. Okay, stay up, Jericho. Your walls have not fallen. So they go back to camp, and they rest, and they get up, and they do it again. And we march around this city, good marching sounds, and blow your trumpets. Do, 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 do. All right, keep blowing. Do, 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 do. But no other sound. And we go back to camp, and double time. We do it again. Double time. We do it again. Seven more times. Seven more times. And on the seventh day, I was just talking with John and Renee, and their little guy just learned. My little niece just learned. I remember the first day I learned how to whistle. It was the first day of agony for the rest of their lives for my family because I just started going around for days. This must have been what it was like. For seven days, and on the seventh day, there's one monotone tone that they just had to keep repeating over and over again. Jericho is now really ragged with all this monotone, one-noted horn blast and completely silent marchers. And on the last time around, this is what... Excuse me. This is what Joshua says. When the trumpet sounded, the people, oopsies, on the seventh day, they got up in the daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that day they circled seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua shouted to the people, commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given the city. The city and all that is in it are to be destroyed to the Lord, devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are in her house shall be spared, because she hid the priests, the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction and take any by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go up into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, And the walls of Jericho fell! You can sit down. Wow! That was great. All right. Thank you, Joshua. You can... um, that was, you're, you're a brilliant Joshua. Thank you very, very much. All right. So at seven times around the city, a huge shout, and the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And then it says, then they burn the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua sent to spy Jericho. And she lived among the Israelites to this day. That's a crazy story. That's just ridiculous. You guys did really good, by the way. I'm very pleased with your participation. A plus. I think I might have to do 
have to tell my grade one to five class that you are better participators than they are. Mm-hmm. You, that was pretty good. Now, um, I'm just finding where I am in my notes here. Oh, yes, there we are. You know, when I was studying this passage, I was like, you know, this has probably got to be one of the strangest military strategies ever recorded in history. And well, as strange as it is, just marching not a sound, like that would have been a little creepy, actually. Um, having a whole bunch of people like completely silently except for a horn blast marching so many times. Um, and as bizarre as a strategy as this was, I think what was more bizarre to me was that Joshua and the Israelites went along with it, no problem. And they, they don't try to argue with God like we've seen them do in the past. Joshua just seems to take with and run with it, as do the Israelites. I mean, if you've been following us, like, what is going on here? This is not the Israelites we've seen in the past. They're usually constantly fighting with God and being like, no, this is not a good plan, or, oh, we're scared, or, or God says go, and they say no, or God says stay, and they say go, and you, you just got this constant tug of war. And all of a sudden, you get this peaceful breath of fresh air. There's no tension. And that was just shocking to me. This, there is no tension between God and his people in in this moment, in this history of, of, of their story. And what I thought, why is that? Like, what, what has happened that has made them so willing to, to just take God at his word and move forward and, and follow him, even though it looks ridiculous? And I think it goes back to the fact that they had spent that time rededicating themselves. They had learned the hard lesson their parents did, hadn't of completely relying on God. That it's with his power and his plan that he was going to bring them into the promised land. And that sometimes a life of faith looks ridiculous. And they think they were okay with that now. Sometimes a life of faith looks ridiculous. Because I don't think, as crazy as it was, I would, I would have planned a military siege on the place. But the point wasn't for Israel to look strong and be incredibly, you know, terrify the nations and all this kind of stuff. No, I think the point... The point was that God's that that it was to learn to trust God and that it was God's power and His plan that would bring them through, and as it followed in obedience, see God do incredible things on their behalf. As one of the commentaries, um, the communicators' commentaries, I was reading it, they they put it this way: It says, "I believe that the deepest theological message of the story is that God is teaching us to trust Him instead of using our own cleverness." 
It's not inconceivable that the Israelites could have made a swift attack on the frightened inhabitants of Jericho, scaled the walls, and perhaps, with a fairly substantial loss of life, ultimately won the battle. But God had another plan. Sometimes a life of faith looks ridiculous because a life of faith is a life learning to give up our own understanding and trust in God alone. And learning to give up our wisdom, what we think is right, our own cleverness, and trusting God is not easy. Yet it's the message that we see again and again and again throughout Scripture. It's, we, we hear again and again that we should trust God. Trusting anything else, it will let us down. It will, will fail. Trust God, wait on him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. All those, like all of these stories. It says here in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Jeremiah 8, the wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped. Since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? Zechariah. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Sometimes a life of faith looks a little ridiculous because a life of faith is a life learning to trust and obey God above all else. God's wisdom, his plan, his ideals are different than the world's and that brings tension and makes us and him look a little bit ridiculous. We may not be called to... Um, and I think, well, I think the story of Jericho is quite applicable and I think it's still going on today. We're not exactly called to cross the Red Sea... I hope. Um, we're not really called to go and conquer nations like they were or to circumcise everybody in our church. That would, no. <laughs> but as Christ followers, Jesus has commanded us to do some pretty ridiculous things. And I think we're going to have to wrestle like the Israelites did how we're going to respond to those. Are we going to hear the word of the Lord and respond in obedience and faith? Or are we going to hear the word of the Lord and allow the doubts, the worries, and our own understanding and the worldly wisdom to cloud out God's voice and choose our own way? Life in the kingdom of God looks ridiculous. God has called us to follow his lead as he guides us in living out his kingdom here on the earth under his authority and with his spirit in a world that desperately needs him, does not believe in him or see him. As a Christ follower, we're called to do things like love our neighbor as ourselves, Love our enemies, serve each other, be generous, not judge, show compassion and love to those who don't deserve it. Forgive 70 times 7. 
Um, we're called to seek God's kingdom first, his righteousness, and then all the stuff that we need will be added to it. We're not called to seek out our own comfort, our own provision. God's going to take care of that. He makes that very, very clear. But living, well, we're supposed to live seeking after God first and his kingdom. And I think there, it is super powerful when we see this happening. Just like in Jericho, we, this is a beautiful picture of what of God's faithfulness coming through for his people as they trust and they take him at his word. And there are many, many stories here today and all around us of people who have done this as well. When I, when I was thinking through ways of like people doing things that in our world would look ridiculous, um, and I was trying to think of examples, like, well, what, what examples could I share? I was like, of course. Who would, in worldly wisdom, give up a week of their vacation to go to Guatemala, be uncomfortable, sweaty, hot, sleep in rooms full of bugs, and work their tails off for people they don't even know? Who in their right mind would do that? That doesn't that doesn't fit into a usual vacation plan. When I think about people who are living ridiculously in the kingdom, I think of my sister when we were teenagers, and she was 14, and she and a friend decided that it was a good idea to start praying for us little sisters under them, that we would know and love God, and to pray that they would not become the nagging teenagers they saw around them. That's ridiculous. And I don't think she knew the impact that that had in my life. Knowing that my sister was actively trying to learn humility and put me first, the annoying little sister first, and come and say, I'm sorry when she'd done something wrong, not prompted by mom, not prompted by any mass amounts of guilt even, just recognizing, I need to do this. And say, Ruthalyn, this is really hard for me because I'm still mad, but I know what I did was wrong. And I still am really frustrated, but I need to say I'm sorry. My sister had never done that before. Ever. And it changed our relationship. Kids, if you're wanting to change the dynamic and the relationships with your siblings and your families, just start doing this. Start praying for them and start saying, I'm going to start looking up for my siblings. I'm going to start living like Jesus has told me to live and forgive and put others first. That will change the world. That's ridiculous. Nobody does that. I also think of people like my, um, when I was a kid, we had a family friend and they were quite um, prosperous. He had a, he was like, a, I don't know if he was a CEO or what, but he he worked really high up in a company. They lived in Florida, big mansion. They tried for years and years and years to have kids, weren't able, and finally they were able to adopt, which was so exciting. And, um, and shortly after that, they felt the call to missions. And he gave up his high-paying job sold their mansion, like big, that wasn't a mansion, but sold their house, and they moved to another town to live on not way less than half of what he'd made before to serve and equip um, burned out, tired, or exhausted other missionaries or pastors in the area who needed times of refreshment. That is ridiculous. Ridiculous. That's not climbing the corporate ladder. Like, that's backwards in our world's eyes. 
In our world's eyes, you, you just keep going up and up and up and up and up. But in God's eyes, you keep going down and down and down and down to serve the needs of those around you that you see. And as I was thinking about this, very convicted myself, because there's a lot of areas where... This was, this was a very... Well, I just, you just heard how my week was. This was a very good week for me to be hearing that God is... I can trust him when all these other things are going crazy. Um, but I was also thinking, I thought, you know what? So many times I hear the voice of God and I, and I hear him saying something that he wants me to do and instead of doing it, I rationalize away, I, I rationalize the fact that it's not a good idea. And I thought, you know, there's probably some of us here today you have, you've got that thing in your mind. You've got that, maybe it's a financial choice or, or a time commitment thing or something that you feel, a relationship that you need. I feel God saying, I need to do this. But it doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. And if that's you today, I really want to encourage you, don't use, don't let the worldly wisdom give you an excuse to ignore God's voice. And, there's, and then there's some of us who were sitting here like, well, yeah, if I was like Joshua and I had an angel, this is my excuse, by the way, if I was an angel there telling me to do something, then I'd do it. That's pretty clear. But God hasn't revealed himself like that. He hasn't done any big, powerful thing. So how do I know what he wants me to do? And I've learned this one the hard way. If that's you, <laughs> it's me, I encourage you to run to Jesus. There is no greater divine revelation than God in the flesh himself come for you. You need nothing more than that. And if you're like, well, I don't know what I, I don't know if I'm, what he's asking me to do, go to Jesus. Read his words. Start living the way he, he encourages us, he commands us to live and the way he lays it out. And I guarantee you that as you start doing that, as you dig in to Jesus and his words, you'll begin to see the clear path that he's cutting for you, and you'll begin to see God move in some incredible ways as you trust him, just like he did in Jericho. The team's going to come up, and we're going to have some time of just reflecting. What I really wanted to encourage you guys and myself this week to do is it's it's that little moment of time before life gets crazy with school starting. And it's that moment of time where we can make choices as to how to use our time, where we can just reassess life and um, and try and make, and try and ask God, where do you want my priorities to lie? Are there areas, are there Jerichos in my life that you want me to go and march around declaring your victory there and see you crumble those walls? Are there areas as a family where we need to trust you more? Where maybe that extra job I need to quit or that extra job I need to take? Or um, that class that the kids really wanted to be in, maybe it's not a good idea or maybe it is a good idea. You know, whatever it is, take some time and just ask God, where are the areas that I need to trust you more? And if you're afraid of looking ridiculous, I just encourage you to hang out with us more. 
there's there's strength in community there's strength in being able to have the person next to you lift your face up out of the grind of the day and help you see the broader picture that this moment in time where it seems like everything's going wrong or it's just nose to the grindstone that's not the end of your story this is just one chapter in the life and take a deep breath and be able to gain the strength and the faith from those around you and the stories of in, in scripture and those around you that God is faithful and allow that to give you the strength to move forward in faith. We've got um, our prayer, members of our prayer team up. Prayer is incredible. It's exactly what, it's talking to God. And if, if there are things you want to talk to God about um, with with the community supporting you. We'd love to pray for you, whether it's something about this or something completely different. So Dave and Jackie are over here, and uh, Keith and myself will be on this side. And I just encourage you, as the team plays a song of reflection, just spend some time asking God for direction of where it is that he wants you to um, give up control, give up your ideas, and trust him. And um, if need be, if you feel led, please come, and we'd love to pray for you.